I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. I'm in a New York state of Unexpected <laughs> from New York State of Mind to uh, to that Christmas Carol. <laughs> I do try to be unexpected. Random. All right. Well, uh, yeah. So uh, it is still December. Hi, if you were here last week, we celebrated the 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 coming of the holiday season of the solstice season, as we called it. Um, we on that solstice creep. Yeah, and uh, we said last week was going to be our last episode in our New York apartment, but just kidding. Um, we uh, had a little incident with our fur baby, and she is on the mend now, but she got very sick into her tummy. Um, she had a GI infection, and today she is feeling much better. Like It's like 10 times better than it was like two hours ago. Yeah, like. she's, she's eating on her own. Mm-hmm. She got up and drank some water she's full of purrs. she's purring so it's hard lovely. yeah and like she's just coming back so we ended up uh moving our move date um and our our apartment complex and u-haul were so wonderful so shout out to irby and to u-haul for being completely understanding and love for the fur babies also a big old shout out to uh bay street animal hospital oh, here yeah. in staten island because They've always been wonderful. It's where Lina's been going since we moved here. But this is the first time it's been like an emergency situation. And um, the doctors were fantastic and the techs. And um, Lina's not the easiest fur baby to deal with when you're not me. Yeah, Lina is a cat who gets moody when <laughs> mom is not around. She doesn't yeah. like that. We've been together since she was 10 weeks old. I mean, she loves her mama. She's she's accepted Ken into her life very, very much so. And it's only taken five years. So <laughs> it was around the three-year point where she really started to accept you. Yeah. So um, I still say that she got sick because you put a ring on it and she was just making a point to make sure that I still loved her most. Right. It, that, that was the <laughs> just just remember She's actually mine. So she's on the mend. We are in our New York apartment. We are, all our bags are packed and we're ready to go. Um, I'm leaving on, on a, a jet U-Haul. plane. <laughs> Don't know if I'll be back again. When I'll be back probably again. If things get better if you wear a mask yeah so uh our anticipated move date is uh actually when this episode comes out we'll be loading the truck and then wednesday we will be doing a long road trip and podcast binging ourselves we're gonna yeah we're gonna we're gonna listen we're gonna listen to ourselves for the 15 hour (laughs) oh god oh my god (laughs) you know i do still listen to our episodes um because like because when we're recording them or it's so live like i forget all the silly and the ridiculousness um but i could not listen to 15 hours of myself i can listen to 15 hours of other people talking when i like them so i hope you can but uh no i'm going to download a bunch of like podcasts that um have been 
given us shout outs on Twitter and whatnot and, uh, and, and really listen to them and stuff. So, um, but if you're going on a road trip, make sure to download Campfire Classics wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs> That was our my own little commercial for ourselves. Nice little plug. Well, like also that. saying I don't want to listen to myself for fifteen hours. But who does? If you want to listen to your your own voice for fifteen hours, that's called narcissism. <laughs> I think that is called um, confidence and a healthy self image. Mm, okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to judge people who just make art that's so fantastic that they love listening to it or looking at it or whatever. See, I'm very much I'll I usually like if if anything has been recorded of me performing or singing or anything, I will listen to it or watch it once usually. Um and then like maybe 10 years later I'll watch it again and be like, "Whoa, weird." Um but yeah, Oh my god, I, look at my hair. Look at my hair, like listen to how much my voice has changed Why did or I think like that jacket was okay. Yeah, like, who was the costumer? Or, like, who was the costumer? Um, but, like, yeah, I mean, it's it's weird to listen to your own voice for hours upon end. I know, like, actors, like Hollywood actors that have never seen their own movies. And that's the, that is the gift of theater when theater is yeah. real. Is you it, never have to see your you own. You never actually do. You never even get to most of the time. Like, there are, there are honestly productions I wish I had a copy of just for nostalgia reasons. But, nope. Theater ends and it evaporates, and now we've gotten into the podcast world, and we're just uh, we're we're making a we're making a stamp <laughs> stamp. Yeah. Podcasts do not evaporate. <laughs> they do not. If you say something dumb on this podcast, I edit it in, <laughs> I highlight it, and I make sure it is around forever. He does. The internet is never going to let you forget that stupid thing you said. Sometimes we'll be recording, and I'll be like, "Edit that out," and he goes, "Okay." He doesn't. <laughs> and I know that. Um, but that's okay. <laughs> Sometimes I even leave in the edit that out. Yes, I know. <laughs> but uh, for those of you for whom uh, this may be your first episode, yeah. uh, welcome to Campfire Classics. We do try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Um, we, or on your Kindle. Or on your Kindle, <laughs> which is where most of the ones we read come from. We uh, we cold read stories from great classic authors of yesteryear and uh, often laugh about how silly things sound or how, or how hard words are to pronounce. Or how bad our accents are, uh, <laughs> often and, for me. And this week we've got a... Uh, a new author, or new to us, obviously not a new author. That would be um, sort of antithetical to what we do. But if you are a short story writer of today and you want us to read your stories, we would make an exception. <laughs> so contact us at www.campfireclassicspodcast.com. This week, we are reading a story from... Mary Eleanor Wilkins Freeman. Ooh, another lady. Another lady. All right. So, uh, Freeman was, was born Mary Ella Wilkins okay. in Randolph, Massachusetts. Which on, is American, okay. On Halloween, 1852. <laughs> Wait, um, how close is that to Salem? I have no idea. Okay. I didn't look it up. I mean... Because Massachusetts, Salem, Massachusetts, Massachusetts woman in the 1800s. It's, I'm like, mm. it's not a massive state, so yeah, somewhere, you know, somewhere close-ish. close. 
Uh, but back in 1852, her parents were Orthodox Congregationalists. So she had a very strict childhood, and religious constraints play a key role in many of her works. What is a Congregationalist? I've never even heard of that religion. Is that like... Are you, you, <laughs> look it up. Doing our first look up, and we haven't even gotten to the story yet. <laughs> I'm intrigued. Um, let's see here. Congregationalist churches, congregationalism, uh, Protestant churches and the Reformed tradition practicing congregationalist church governance in which each congregation independently and autonomously runs its own affairs. Oh. So it's it's an orthodox, in this case, they're an orthodox Christian group that isn't um, associated with like Lutheranism or Baptist or whatever. They're their own church. Okay. When she was 15 years old, her family moved to Vermont, where she graduated from the local high school before attending Mount Holyoke College, which at the time was Mount Holyoke Female Seminary, uh, for one year. She later finished her education at Glenwood Seminary. Okay. So, so she, she went was to seminary school? She, well, she went to religious school. Like, a, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, as an adolescent... Um, Freeman, though at the time uh, her name was Wilkins, but as an adolescent, she was increasingly caught between the need for her mother's love and her instinct to avoid becoming her mother and subsiding into her mother's form of passivity. Um, isn't that what all uh, young women going through adolescence do? I mean, we all kind of end up being our mothers no matter what we do, or what, our fathers. I mean, like, depending what's, on... What's but, the the the, uh, the Oscar Wilde line is, all women become their mothers. That is their tragedy. No man does. That is his. Yep. That's that's the truth. So, like, but, like, when especially when you reach adolescence and you start, like, can, especially as a woman or a young girl, you're like, Oh, now I see it. And then you just fight hard against it, which is where that rebellion comes from. Yeah. Yep. Um, so uh, unlike unlike her sister, um, Anna, uh, she very much seemed to actively avoid the good girl label. She hated doing chores, domestic work. She was not a fan of discipline. She hated the kitchen. Hey, and mom and dad, does this sound familiar of teenage Heather? <laughs> And uh, it is supposed that she wrote the story The Revolt of a Mother as an homage to that troubled relationship and to the the work that that mothers do have to do, did have to do, while also acknowledging that it's like, nope, not for me. Oh, my gosh. That's there's a story. She wrote a story called Revolt of Mother. The Revolt of Mother. I yes. love it. Um. So her family uh, moved back to Massachusetts and Mary's mother, Eleanor, died three years later. Mary changed her middle name from Ella to Eleanor in her, uh, in her mother's memory. Aww. She started writing stories and verse for children while she was a teenager to help support her family. So okay. she started making money as a teenager from her writing Boom. and was very quickly successful. Her career as a short story writer launched in 1881 when she took first place in a short story contest with her submission, The Ghost Family. Oh, 
Her early works tended to combine domestic realism with supernatural elements. Ooh, I like that. That's fun. Her father died suddenly two years later in 1883, leaving her without any immediate family and an estate worth $973. Which was how much at the time? Don't know, but um, not enough to be like, all right, cool, I'm good. I mean, it wasn't... That was the whole estate. Like, that was what the house and the property and whatnot was worth. She didn't have that in cash. Yeah. Oh, shit. Um, And how old was she? Uh, that was 1883, Three. so she was 30. Okay, okay. Girls um, are like spinster now. She ain't married. <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> um, she, uh, she moved in with a friend, Mary J. Wales, and started writing as her only source of income. Nice. Over her career, she produced more than two dozen volumes of published short stories uh, and novels. Nice. She wrote in several different genres, including children's stories, poems, and short stories, uh, but she always sought to demonstrate her values as a feminist. Boom. During the time which she was writing, she had to do this in um, sort of subtle and non-conventional ways. For example, she diverged from making her female characters weak and in need of help, which was the common sort of trope in literature at the time. Oh, we know. I've seen all the (laughs) (laughs) rom-coms. At the time. (laughs) Good Lord. During a visit to New Jersey in 1892, she met Dr. Charles Manning Freeman, a (laughs) non-practicing medical doctor seven years younger than her. Boom. After years of courtship and delays, the two were finally married on January 1st, 1902. So she was like 50? 50. Damn, girl, yes. Yes, um, girl. <laughs> she she immediately firmly established her name as Mary E. Wilkins Freeman, and she insisted that from then on her publishers use that full name. Mm-hmm. Uh, the couple built a home in New Jersey uh, where Freeman became a local celebrity for her writing, despite occasionally publishing um, fiction that satired her neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, her husband was an alcoholic and addicted to sleeping powder. He oh, also had okay. a reputation for enjoying fast horses and loose women. I, 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 was, I was like fast women and loose women. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly that way too. I I am not judging am, his his personal sexual proclivities. You know what I love that he was into fast women, but he like courted this the, Mary for like years and years and yep. years. Because he's probably one of those guys that likes what he can't have. Honestly, <laughs> once he once he locked it down, he was bored. Yeah, he's like meh. Um. Anyway, he ended up being committed to the New Jersey State Hospital for the Insane in Trenton. Oh. Oh, no. And the two were legally separated a year later. Uh, after he died in 1923, he left almost his entire fortune to his chauffeur uh, and left $1 to his ex-wife. What a fucking twat. 
What? Okay, um, so he was in like a mental hospital in the early 1900s. Yep. He was not having a good time. No. Uh, oh, man. In April 1926, Freeman became the first recipient of the William Dean Howells Medal for Distinction in Literature from the American Academy of Arts and Letters. Amazing. Uh, she died in 1930 at age 77. Uh, she was buried in New Jersey. That's a nice, nice, healthy life for yeah. that time period. She what did all right. A, what a badass. So that is Mary Eleanor Wilkins Freeman. And today's story is The Christmas Masquerade. Oh, we're going holiday themed. All right. Let's start, start this the fire. fire. Ah, uh, see, now I just do want some hot cocoa. The Christmas Masquerade by Mary E. Wilkins Freeman. On Christmas Eve, the mayor's stately mansion presented a beautiful appearance. There were rows of different colored waxed candles burning in every window, and beyond them one could see the chandeliers of gold and crystal blazing with light. The fiddles were squeaking merrily, and lovely little forms flew past the windows in time to music. Oh. It's very, it's very idyllic. This is very idyllic. I, I have a feeling she's going to make fun of these people at some point. It's all those fun facts. There were glorious carpets laid on the door to the street, and carriages were constantly arriving, and fresh guests tripping over them. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> tripping over the carpets? Tripping over the carriages? I don't know, but apparently the guests were drunk. Tripping over the other drunk guests? <laughs> Woohoo! This is a party. Wait, we got whoa. we got squeaking violins and the next sentence. They were all children. <laughs> a room full of drunk, drunk children, children tripping over each other <laughs> and, and dancing carriages. to the dr- dancing to the squeaking violins. <laughs> so all these kids don't know how to walk, apparently. They were all children. The mayor was giving a Christmas masquerade tonight to all the children in the city, the poor as well as the rich. The preparation for this ball had been making an immense sensation for the last three months. Placards had been up in the most conspicuous points in the city, and all the daily newspapers had at least a column devoted to it, headed with... The Mayor's Christmas Masquerade in very large letters. <laughs> the billboard. Like Throwing right a party on Main for a Street. Bunch of kids. That's let's put up a big billboard. Billboard. And be like, bring your children <laughs> to the mayor's house. This is a little creepy now. <laughs> bring your kids. They'll trip over carriages. I promise we won't get them drunk. <laughs> the curfew's nine o'clock. Free loose horses with every child. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Maybe that's why they're tripping over the carriages is the, the horses the are loose. The horses are too loose. <laughs> and they're wobbling and the kids trip over them. <laughs> that is the most weird image in my head right now of these, like, jello horses. <laughs> like, <laughs> All right. What a party. <laughs> The mayor had promised to defray the expenses of all the poor children whose parents were unable to do so, and the bills for their costumes were directed to be sent to him. This guy is, like, getting ready for re-election. Good good dude. I I might be re-election Or maybe he's just a really good guy. 
but this is a good way to go about re-election. Yeah. I like it. I like this. I approve. He's, this is like Bernie Sanders like, throwing a Christmas party. <laughs> Every child should have a costume. Of course, there was a great deal of excitement among the regular costumers of the city, and they all resolved to vie with one another in being the most popular and the best patronized on the ga- on this gala occasion. <laughs> is there there's why are there so many costumers in this town? <laughs> is this New York City? <laughs> yeah, where is this? What how many costumers does one little small I'm assuming this is it's, like a Vermont or Massachusetts yeah, like, like small New town. Hampshire town. Like, that's what I was envisioning, but apparently it's uh, full of costumers. I'm guessing maybe costumer was also a term for, like, tailor and, like, designer, seamstress, seamstress, that kind of thing. Um, The upholsterer down the street. They basically just make costumes for your chairs. If you can sew, then you're a costumer in this world. Okay. Uh, But the placards and the notices had not been out a week before a new costumer appeared who cast all the others into the shade directly. He set up his shop on the corner of one of the principal streets and hung up his beautiful costumes in the windows. He was a little fellow, not much larger than a boy of ten. Is he a leprechaun? Is he an elf? <laughs> I get, It's a Christmas story. I probably should have gone to elf first. I like leprechaun. But... I mean, that's another holiday. <laughs> He was a little fellow, not much larger than a boy of ten. His cheeks were as red as roses, and he had a long, curling wig as white as snow. He wore a suit of crimson velvet knee breeches and a little swallow-tailed coat with beautiful golden buttons. Deep lace ruffles fell over his slender white hands, and he wore elegant knee buckles of glittering stones. He sat on the high stool behind his counter and served his customers himself. He kept no clerk. This is fucking Santa Claus. Yeah, he's dressed like a mall Santa. (laughs) So it's either really endearing or really fucking creepy creepy. that this guy comes out of nowhere because he found out there was a children's masquerade. (laughs) Like, yeah. So he's very hardworking. He makes all the costumes himself and he sells them. Good for him. It did not take the children long to discover what beautiful things he had and how superior he was to the other costumers, and they began to flock to his shop immediately, from the mayor's daughter to the poor rag pickers. The children were to select their own costumes. The mayor had stipulated that. It was to be a children's ball in every sense of the word. He's like, if you want to come dressed as a drunken pirate, you can. If you want to come dressed as Little Bo Peep, you can. If you want to be a merman, you can. I wonder what the most popular, like, I guess this is a Christmas masquerade, not Halloween. But what what would the most popular children's Halloween-esque costume of 1902 have been? I know. I'm trying to think, like, like... I don't think of Christmas as a time when you go to a, like, masquerade ball. I think of it more like as you get really dressed up and then you put a really nice mask on. But I think this sounds like it's costumes. Yeah. I think. Yeah, so, like, I'm thinking, is this... Uh, maybe he's going to go into detail. This, this entire ball is filled with, like, 10-year-olds dressed as the Nutcracker. <laughs> So, uh, so, it was a children's ball in every sense of the word. 
So they decided to be fairies and shepherdesses and princesses, according to their own fancies. And this new costumer had charming costumes to suit them. Um, I love that they that Mary is only given uh, traditionally female costumes. I kind of hope all the boys were encouraged to also be fairies, also be fairies and shepherdesses and princesses. and princesses, because that would be way progressive and awesome. Yeah, little little John and Mike are dressed up as little Bo Peep. Yeah, and holding hands. Yay, I like this fantasy world. Uh, <laughs> it was noticeable that, for the most part, the children of the rich, who had always had everything they desired, would choose the parts of the goose girls and peasants and such like. And the poor children jumped eagerly at the chance of being princesses or fairies for a few hours in their miserable lives. Oh, oh my oh God. No. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It took a dark turn. No. <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. Well, I mean, we always want what we can't have, but really, their miserable lives? I mean, they're just poor. It doesn't harsh. mean they're miserable, rude. <laughs> When Christmas Eve came and the children flocked into the mayor's mansion, whether it was owing to the costumer's art or their own adaptation of the characters they'd chosen, it was wonderful how lifelike their representations were. Those little fairies in their short skirts of silken gauze in which golden sparkles appeared as they moved with their little funny gossamer wings like butterflies looked like real fairies. It did not seem possible when they floated around to the music, half supported on the tips of their dainty toes, half by their flimmy purple wings. Filmy. <laughs> flimmy. Flimmy. Flimmy purple wings. Flimmy. Flimmy is, of course, a portmanteau between fluid and shimmy. Flimmy. Flimmy. It sounds like a Laban term or something like it is, yeah, it is. Well, it was. What's, what's so your, what's when Laban, Flimmy. When Laban was first coming up with his terms, um, Flimmy was actually the first one that he he came yeah. up with. But he decided that most people wouldn't be familiar with that particular uh, portmanteau, so he he switched to you know flick and dab and. That was nice. That was nice. If you don't yeah. know what Laban is, um, that look it up. That conversation was probably really confusing. He's a movement weird. guy in theater. Don't worry. And I was a movement teacher in theater. So. Woohoo! Um, flimmy. I'm going to go back and flim that away. It did not seem possible when they floated around to the music, half supported on the tips of their dainty toes, half by their filmy purple wings, their delicate bodies swaying in time, that they could be anything but fairies. It seemed absurd to imagine that they were Johnny Mullins, the washerwoman's son, and Polly Flinders, the charwoman's little girl, and so, so on. So Johnny all the boys are fairy. fairies. Awesome. Fuck yes. Love it. Love this town so far. They have costume balls and like multiple costumers, and they encourage ten-year-old drag queens. They encourage boys and girls and whatever they want to be. They can be. That's fantastic. The mayor's daughter, who had chosen the character of a goose girl, looked so like a true one that one could hardly dream she ever was anything else. She was ordinarily a slender, dainty little lady, rather tall for her age. She now looked very short and stubbed and brown, just as if she had been accustomed to tend geese in all sorts of weather. So she's got mud all over her face. <laughs> Good job. She went out and, like, just rolled around in the dirt. And she's like, look, I'm a goose girl. 
this is what poor people look like. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Do you remember like in high school plays and stuff where you were playing like a poor person? Like you smudged like Just smudge like brown, brown Ben Nye makeup. <laughs> definitely, definitely happened to me. I I did it. <laughs> I yes. Because you know, poor people are always dirty. Because poor people don't know what baths are. Or like, you know, water. <laughs> it's okay. I can say things like this. I am a poor person. I am a poor person. <laughs> It's, it's not classism when you are a poor person saying this. Um, it's also all true. I'm very dirty all the time. It's it's yeah. You need to you stink. <laughs> he doesn't at all. I love him. It was so with all the others: the Red Riding Hoods, the princesses, the Bo Peeps. Oh, we we said Bo Peep. What? That was one I guessed. Who that's, knew? That's another psychic moment for Team Campfire Classics. Oh my god, I'm get, I'm freaking myself out with these books, man. All right. It was so with all the others: the Red Riding Hoods, the princesses, the Bo Peeps, and with every one of the characters who came to the mayor's ball. Red Riding Hood looked round with big frightened eyes, all ready to spy the wolf, and carried her little pat of butter and pot of honey gingerly in her basket. Bo Peep's eyes looked red with weeping for the loss of her sheep. Oh, my God. And the princesses swept about grandly in their splendid brocade trains and held their crowned heads so high that people half believed them to be true princesses. This town is just full of kids who are, like, dope method actors. Yeah, they're all, like, they put on their costume and it just transforms them. But there never was anything like the fun of the mayor's Christmas ball. The fiddlers fiddled and fiddled, and the children danced and danced on the beautiful waxed floors. The mayor, with his family and a few grand guests, sat on the dais covered dais? Dais? Dais. D-A-I-S. Yeah. I'm guessing it's like a little balcony? It's the, yeah, the the, the platform. Yeah. The, um... Like if there's like a sweeping staircase and there's like... Or something like that? Yeah, it's the sort of like the, the the podium or where the... So it's like the head table at a wedding. Yeah, the head table at a wedding or the the little platform that the king's throne goes yeah. on. Yeah. So they can see and like be and represent that they are in charge. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So you can say, I'm more important than you and sort of stare down your nose at the peasants. Mm, the peasants, even though all the peasants are dressed as princesses. Yes, but all the princesses are dressed it's as peasants. peasants. <laughs> what jolly fun we're having. Um, is it pronounced deus, dias? I think it's deus. Deus? Cool. Like, like deus ex machina, deus. Okay, deus, great. The mayor's eldest daughter sat in front and clapped her little soft white hands. She was a tall, beautiful young maiden and wore a white dress and a little cap woven of blue violets on her yellow hair. Her name was Violetta. So she she dressed up as herself. She was dressed up as Ophelia (laughs) post-breakdown. Oh, shit. (laughs) Let's hope she's not too method and there's no fountain in this place. She's just going to go around singing creepy-ass songs and handing flowers to all the guests. <laughs> before she falls in love with the kid who murders her father. Oh, damn. It's about to get dark in this story. <laughs> the supper was served at midnight, and such a supper. I know 
kids stayed up late then. Like, there was no bedtime shit then. Dinner was at midnight? I love this town. I know. This town's like shit, man. I'm moving here. Where is this? We're going to find out. The supper was served at midnight, and such a supper. The mountains of pink and white ices and the cakes with sugar castles and flower gardens on tops of them and the charming shapes of gold and ruby-colored jellies. Are we in Whoville? Well, <laughs> I feel like we're in Whoville. all of the food she has just described, it was ice cream, cake, and jelly. L- yeah, like je- uh, jello. Jello. Yeah. Jello molds. <laughs> yes. This Sounds is like my fabulous. Kind of there were wonderful bonbons, which even the mayor's daughter did not have every day, and all sorts of fruits, fresh and candied. They had a cowslip wine in green glasses, an elderberry wine in red, and they drank each other's health, so they are getting drunk. The glasses held a thimbleful each. Okay, so they, they're having a they're having a sip. They're having a sip. They're having a little sip. It's like a toast. Snifter. Well, they're basically having a communion <laughs> amount of wine. Um, the glasses held a thimbleful each. The mayor's wife thought that was all the wine they ought to have. <laughs> Under each child's plate, there was a pretty present, and everyone had a basket of bonbons and cake to carry home. Yeah, I mean, like little cake. These these kids are getting S- drunk, tanked, and sugar high. Well, and they got before they're costumes. handed before they're handed presents and sent home. Nothing bad's going to happen here. She's mom and dad are not going to sleep for a month. This is amazing. I love it. Oh, my God. Why didn't this shit happen when we were kids? At 4 o'clock, the fiddlers put up their fiddles, and the children went home. Fairies. At 4 a.m.? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's when the bars close in New York. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs> Closing time. <laughs> yep. At four o'clock, the fiddlers put out their fiddlers. The fiddlers put out their fiddlers. That's why the kids had to go home. Oh, God. That's, that is, <laughs> that was illegal even back then. Just saying. You couldn't just take out your fiddler in public. It's not okay. That was an unfortunate um, repeating of a word. Okay. I mean, let's be real. The fiddlers have probably been drinking more than a, a thimble full of wine. Probably, especially if their instruments are squeaking. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what they're supposed to sound like. Nope. <laughs> uh, whether it's your fiddle or your fiddler, it shouldn't be squeaking. It shouldn't squeak. You need some WD-40. <laughs> Zip. Squeak. The fuck? If your fiddler is squeaking, please seek medical attention. Consult your doctor if squeaking lasts more than four hours. Oh, my God. Oh, my, God. my stomach hurts from laughing. Ask your doctor if WD-40 is right for you. Oh, God. Okay. I'm going to read the story <sighs> so many mental images with this story. Side effects include loose fiddlers <laughs> and loose horses. <laughs> At four o'clock, the fiddlers put. <laughs> 
Okay, just go ahead and give it give it one more shot, and don't worry. I'm going to edit out the 40 times you just messed that up. 40? I messed it up twice. Oh, yeah, no, I'll just I'll just leave two in. But. Okay. And 12 minutes of, like, <laughs> bent over laughter. At 4 o'clock, the fiddlers put up their fiddles, and the children went home. Fairies and shepherdesses and pages and princesses all jabbering gleefully about the splendid time they had had. And all the wine they drank. That's not in the, that's not in the story. Are you <laughs> the splendid the time the they had. And all the wine they drank. Drunk babies. <laughs> Drunk goose girls. <laughs> but in a short time, what con- consternation? C-O-N-S-T-E-R-N-A-T-I-O-N consternation feelings of anxiety or dismay typically at something unexpected oh oh shit it's about to get dark up in here something's about to happen but in a short time what consternation there was throughout the city when the proud and fond parents attempted to unbutton their children's dresses in order to prepare them for bed not a single costume would come off The buttons buttoned again as fast as they were unbuttoned. Even if they pulled out a pin, it would slip again in a twinkling. And when a string was untied, it tied itself up again into a bow knot. Kids can't get out of costume. Well, now they have to become their... They are their characters. Super method. Yep. The parents were dreadfully frightened. But the children were so tired out, they finally let them go to bed in their fancy costumes and thought perhaps they would come off better in the morning. So Red Riding Hood went to bed in her little red cloak, holding fast to her basket full of dainties for her grandmother, and Bo Peep slept with the crook in her hand. Oh no, it's so cute! <laughs> like, honestly, when I was a kid, like, I... I'm pretty sure I slept in my Halloween costume some nights. I um, I was Dorothy like twice. I, I don't, wanted to be Dorothy. I don't think I ever slept in my Halloween costume, but I definitely got the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle pajamas. Yes. That made you look like one of the Teenage like Mutant the Ninja onesie. Turtles. Yeah. I mean, it was a onesie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are cool. Yeah. Well, I had a dress up bin, so I guarantee you I went to bed in costume many times. The children all went to bed readily enough. They were so very tired, even though they had to go in this strange array. All but the fairies. They danced and pirouetted and would not be still. Oh, shit. They're not just stuck in the costume. They're turning into their characters. Oh, shit. There's a picture. And this this little girl's just fucking ferrying all over the, the, like, living room. (laughs) And the parents are like, oh, shit. What is happening? I think you just turned fairy into a verb. Ferrying? Oh, I, I know I have ferried, and I know many people who have ferried many times in their life. I ferry down Broadway often. I ferry, you ferry, he, she ferries. Yeah. Um, he, we, she, they ferries. We ferron. We ferron? Y'all ferrey. <laughs> they I like it. I like it. The parents stared in great distress. We want to swing on the blades of grass, they kept saying, and play hide and seek in the lily cups and take a nap between the leaves of the roses. I think they had more than a thimble full of wine. 
It sounds like the good drugs. Either that or the parents had more than a thimble full of wine. <laughs> That's true. Maybe they were drinking the whole time. This is all parental hallucination. <laughs> the poor charwoman and coal heavers, whose children the fairies were for the most part, stared at them in great distress. They did not know what to do with these radiant, frisky little creatures into which their Johnnies and their Pollys and Betsies were so suddenly transformed. But the fairies went to bed quietly enough when daylight came and were soon fast asleep. So they weren't fairies, they were vampires. vampires. Great. Fabulous. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. There was no further trouble till 12 o'clock when all the children woke up. (laughs) They all slept in. I mean, I guess it was like four or five o'clock. Yeah. Or maybe when the fairies woke up? I don't know. I don't know. Is this 12 noon or 12 midnight? I don't know, but... If they all woke up at 12 midnight, that's creepy as Then that's fuck. real scary. <laughs> there was no further trouble till 12 o'clock when all the children woke up. Then a great wave of alarm spread over the city. Not one of the costumes would come off then. The buttons buttoned as fast as they were unbuttoned, the pins quilted themselves in as fast as they were pulled out, and the strings flew round like lightning and twisted themselves into bow knots as fast as they were untied. And that was not the worst of it. Every one of the children seemed to have become, in reality, the character which he or she had assumed. Oh, shit. (laughs) Whoever this costumer that came to town was, is like the pied, he's like the fiddler. (laughs) The pied fiddler? The pied fiddler? The fiddle fiddler? The the fiddler fiddler's fiddle? The fiddle diddler? The fiddle. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> it is not this story. <laughs> He's the loose horseman of Vermont. <laughs> not the headless horseman. He's the loose horseman. <laughs> the mayor's daughter declared she was going to tend her geese out in the pasture. And the shepherdesses sprang out of their little beds of down, throwing aside their silken quilts, and cried that they must go down and watch their sheep. The princesses jumped up from their straw pallets and wanted to go to court, and all the rest of them likewise. Poor little Red Riding Hood sobbed and sobbed because they couldn't go and carry their basket to their grandmother, and as she didn't have any grandmother, she couldn't go. (laughs) Oh, no. That's the saddest sentence in this story so far. Oh, no. Mom, just play grandma. The kid doesn't know what's going on. Don't Uh, let her out in the woods, though. Yeah, don't let her out in the woods. any of these little kids dressed up up as as a wolf. wolf. Like, they got method, man. This kid's going to try and, like, eat this kid's head. Um, But I suppose that would be be a Halloween party, not a Christmas party. Yeah. don't have... It's... Yeah. Thematically. Thematically, there wouldn't be any wolves, but who knows. Poor little Red Riding Hood sobbed and sobbed because she couldn't go and carry her basket to her grandmother. And as she didn't have any grandmother, she couldn't go, of course. And her parents were very much troubled. It was all so mysterious and dreadful. The news spread very rapidly over the city. And soon, a great crowd gathered round the new costumer's shop. For everyone thought he must be responsible for all of this mischief. Yeah, blame Santa. Yeah, blame the magic man. The shop door was locked, but they soon battered it down with stones. Well, shit. 
Okay, we've gone mob mentality. Here we go. When they rushed in, the customer was not there. He had disappeared with all of his wares. They did not know what to do, but it was evident that they must do something before long, for the state of affairs was growing worse and worse. I know our children are having fun. (laughs) (laughs) What the actual hell? They're not acting class appropriate. The mayor's little daughter braced her back up against the tapestried wall and planted her two feet in their thick shoes firmly. I will go and tend my geese, she kept crying. I won't eat my breakfast. I won't go out in the park. I won't go to school. I am going to tend my geese. I will, I will, I will. And the princesses trailed their rich trains over the rough, unpainted floors in their parents' little huts and held their crowned heads very high and demanded to be taken to court. The princesses were mostly geese girls when they were their proper selves, and their geese were suffering, and their poor parents did not know what they were going to do, and they wrung their hands and wept as they gazed on their gorgeously apparelled children. (laughs) Okay, first of all, mom and dad, go feed the fucking geese. Not that hard. Not that hard. Um, Kids do it all the time. How dare our poor children look so beautiful today? Kids do it all the time on Sunday afternoon. Just tear up some bread and throw it at the ducks. It's fun. It's not that hard. Like, I bet there's a bin with all the food. Like, if you're you're fucking seven-year-old can do it, you can do it too. And on the flip side, rich parents, stop freaking out. Your child is learning responsibility for the first time in her damn life. That's right. I mean, what 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 bad is happening here? It's teaching all children they can be whatever they want to be. Love it. Finally, the mayor called a meeting of the aldermen, and they all assembled in City Hall. Nearly every one of them had a son or a daughter who was a chimney sweep or a little watch girl or a shepherdess. They appointed a chairman, and they took a great many votes, and contrary votes, but they did not agree on anything until someone proposed that they consult the wise woman. Then they all held up their hands and voted to unanimously. Who the fuck's the wise woman? Is it the town witch? <laughs> like- um, yes, this would be the deus ex machina that I was talking about. <laughs> And it's it's capitalized. It's wise woman, like the wise woman. Yeah, is it's the town witch. It's the town witch. Cool. This town gets cooler and cooler. I'm just saying. It's the the town witch, and and (laughs) no, like really, like I said, she's she's the um, she is the Deus Ex Machina. She's the like, well, we can't fix it, so uh, let's talk to the witch. I mean, yeah, like let's go talk to the the lady who lives in the hut in the woods that. We only go to when things get really bad. <laughs> like, this is amazing. Oh, oh, yes. Okay. I just I saw a line in advance, and this is about to get awesome. Great. I mean, it's been pretty great. So the whole board of aldermen set out, walking by twos with the mayor at their head, to consult the wise woman. The aldermen were all very fleshy and carried gold-headed canes. <laughs> Ew, gross. So they're all like kind of fat old dudes. They're they're jowly guys with hip issues. Yeah. The aldermen were all very fleshy and carried gold-headed canes, which they swung very high at every step. They held their heads well back and their chins stiff. And whenever they met common people, they sniffed gently. They were very imposing. 
oh, fuck these people. <laughs> Good for you. Oh, it's, the, it's the peasants. <laughs> oh, damn, my daughter's one of them now. The wise woman lived in a little hut on the outskirts of the city. I swear to God, I'm freaking myself out with these. Also, she kept a black cat. So she is the witch that lives in the hut outside the city. Yep. So um, maybe I was this writer in a former life or something. (laughs) Cool. She kept a black cat, except for her, she was all alone. She was very old and brought up a great many children, and she was considered remarkably wise. That's why they call her the wise wise woman. woman. So they're not super creative with naming the The creepy old lady who lives on the outskirts of town. Well, it's the wise witchy woman. They just took out the middle name. Witchy woman, see how high she flies. Ooh, witchy woman, how is she so wise? (laughs) All right, yeah, respect. Yep, yep. Nicely done. I had to go there. All right. But... When the alderman reached her hut and found her seated by the fire holding her black cat, a new difficulty presented itself. She had always been quite deaf. (laughs) Oh, now I just, now I'm just imagining all these like fucking like pompous ass fat white men screaming at this old woman who lives in the woods with her cat who can't hear She's like, eh? And they're like, oh, the common people. <laughs> like, this is not gonna this is not gonna be easy. All right. She had been quite deaf, and people had been obligated to scream as loud as they could in order to make her hear. But lately she had grown much deafer. <laughs> and when the alderman attempted to lay the case before her, she could not hear a word. In fact, she was so very deaf that she could not distinguish a tone below G sharp. (laughs) That is so specific. Which G sharp? The aldermen screamed till they were quite red in the faces, but all to no purpose. None of them could get up to a G sharp, of course, so it was high. So they don't need to scream. What they need to do is just be like, okay, so here's what's going on. These men clearly do not know how to use their falsetto. Or just bring the children into it. Well, well no, the I'm guessing that's all, a, but they can't. The children are all, they have to bring in the women to explain the issue. Oh, no. So that they can talk higher. Yeah, because uh, men, we don't want to hear your voices anymore right now. <laughs> Go home and play with your canes. <laughs> your gold swinging squeaky canes. All right. <laughs> so the aldermen all went back swinging their gold-headed canes And they had another meeting in the city hall. They then decided to send the highest soprano singer in the church choir to the wise woman. She could sing up to a G sharp just as easy as not. So the high soprano singer set out for the wise woman in the mayor's coach and the aldermen marched behind, swinging their gold-headed canes. (laughs) They need some WD-40. Yeah. 
The high soprano singer put her head down close to the wise woman's ear and sang all about the Christmas masquerade and the dreadful dilemma everybody was in, in G sharp. <laughs> she even went higher sometimes. And the wise woman heard every word. She nodded three times, and every time she nodded, she looked wiser. <laughs> oh, this is delightful. This is so weird. Go home and give them a spoonful of castor oil all round. She piped up. Then she took a pinch of snuff and wouldn't say anymore. <laughs> this bitch is my hero. This bitch is my hero. She lives like in a, like she's got her own area in the woods. She has her cat. She's just like snuffing her snuff, getting a little high. And she could only hear like she's I bet she can actually hear. She doesn't like when men talk to her. This whole thing in my mind takes place in the um uh that that big fish town. Oh yeah. And that's who the witch is. Yeah, the really, really old lady. Oh my god, I love her. Uh so the aldermen went home, and each one took a district and marched through it with a servant carrying an immense bowl and spoon. Because, you know, these men cannot be bothered to carry a bowl and spoon. They're too busy swinging their golden-headed They're canes. They're swinging their golden-headed canes around. Mm-hmm. With a servant carrying an immense bowl and spoon, and every child had to take a dose of castor oil. But it didn't do a bit of good. The children cried and struggled when they were forced to take the castor oil. Okay, so they're just Lina taking her medicine. <laughs> Kitty meow meow. But two minutes afterward, the chimney sweeps were crying for their brooms, and the princesses screaming because they couldn't go to court. And the mayor's daughter, who had been given a double dose, cried louder and more sturdily, I want to go tend my geese. I will go and tend my geese. So the aldermen took the high soprano singer and they consulted the wise woman again. She had taken a nap. <laughs> I love this so much. She's sitting in front of the fire, taking a nap. She got her little black kitty curled up on her lap. She was taking a nap this time and the singer had to sing up to a B flat before she could wake her. Then she was very cross and the black cat put up his back and spit at the alderman. <laughs> This one is my favorite. <laughs> Give him a spanking all round, she snapped out. And if that don't work, put him to bed without their supper. <laughs> Why are we hitting the children now? Because so, they think they're princesses and gold and goose girls. <laughs> so we've recommended um, forcing them to choke down a spoonful of oil gross which was then, medicine at the time and I then guess. smack them around and starve them <laughs> what did they do this is they good just, they're just method this is great parenting advice from this wise woman <laughs> this wise woman who's pissed because these people are there and her cat is spitting at them when the aldermen marched back to try that and all the children in the city were spanked and when that didn't do any good they were put to bed without any supper but the next morning, when they woke up, they were worse than ever. <laughs> the mayor and the aldermen were very indignant and considered that they had been imposed upon and insulted. So they set out for the wise woman's again with the high soprano singer. 
She sang in G-sharp how the aldermen and the mayor considered her an imposter, and they did not think she was wise at all, and they wished her to take her black cat and move beyond the limits of the city. Rude. She sang it beautifully. It sounded like the finest Italian opera music, so now I'm just imagining this woman screaming uh, Italian aria into this old woman's, Nobody wants you here. Get the fuck out of our town. (laughs) But it sounds gorgeous, so it's fine. (laughs) Take your black cat and get the fuck out. (laughs) This story is cracking me up. I love it so much. Deary me, piped the wise woman when she had finished. How very grand these gentlemen are. Her black cat put up its back and spit. Five times one black cat are five black cats, said the wise woman. And directly, there were five black cats spitting and meowing. Oh, fuck. Five times five black cats are 25 black cats. And then there were 25 of the angry little beasts. <laughs> five times. Jesus. Someone needs to, like, cover her mouth. Five times 25 black cats are 125 black cats, added the wise woman with a chuckle. Oh, this is the Count's grandma. (laughs) One spider, two spiders. One cat, (laughs) five cats, (laughs) 25 cats, (laughs) 125 cats, That just makes me want to watch the unnecessarily censored video with the count. (laughs) Uh, But she doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't deal in counting. She deals strictly in exponents, which is why she's going like that. Yeah. So she's got 25, 125 black cats now in this tiny little hut screaming at the old men with their golden headed canes. Then the mayor and the alderman and the high soprano singer fled (laughs) precipitate. Precipitately, I'm guessing quickly is the definition. To hasten the occurrence of. Okay. Precipitously. Wait. Precipitately. And the high soprano fled precipitately out the door and back to the city. 125 black cats had seemed to fill the wise woman's hut full. And when they all spit and meowed together, it was dreadful. The visitors could not wait for her to multiply black cats any longer. (laughs) The winter wore on and spring came. The condition of things grew more intolerable. Physicians had been consulted who advised that the children should be allowed to follow their own bents for fear of inquiry into their constitutions. So the rich alderman's daughter were actually out in the fields herding sheep and their sons sweeping chimneys or carrying newspapers while the poor charwoman and coal heaver's children spent their time like princesses and fairies. Such a topsy-turvy state of society was shocking. Why, the mayor's little daughter was tending geese out in the meadow like any common goose girl. (laughs) Her pretty elder sister, Violetta, felt very sad about it and used often to cast about in her mind for some way of relief 
When cherries were ripe in spring, Violetta thought she would ask the cherry man about it. Who's <laughs> the cherry man? The guy who I love, picks the cherries. I love all the names of the people in this town. Well, this is this is the kind of town where your name doesn't really matter. It's, it's all what about you do. what you do and yep. who you are. She thought the cherry man quite wise. And I love that all the people <laughs> are wise. Old people are wise. I mean, true. I mean, I don't know if this guy's <laughs> wise. He was a pretty young fellow. <laughs> oh, never mind. So I think she just got a crush on him. He hot was, people are wise. Hot people are wise. It's, <laughs> um, he was a pretty young fellow, and he brought cherries to sell in graceful little straw baskets lined with moss. So she stood in the kitchen door one morning and told him all about the great trouble that had come upon the city. He listened in great astonishment. He had never heard of it before. He lived several miles out in the country. How did the costumer look, he asked respectfully. He thought Violetta the most beautiful lady on earth. Then Violetta described the costumer and told him of the unavailing attempts that had been made to find him. There were a great many detectives out, constantly at work. I know where he is, said the cherry man. He's up in one of my cherry trees. What? Oh, he looks like Santa? Yeah, I know. I know where he is. He lives in one of my cherry trees. He's been living there ever since the cherries were ripe, and he won't come down. What is this I'm story? so glad they finally talked to the cherry man. <laughs> Good thing Violetta had a crush. Yeah. Then Violetta ran and told her father in great excitement, and he at once called a meeting of the aldermen, and in a few hours, half the city was on the road to the cherrymen's. He had a beautiful orchard of cherry trees all laden with fruit, and sure enough, in one of the largest, way up amongst the topmost branches, sat the costumer in his red velvet, short clothes, and his diamond-kneed buckles. He looked down between the green boughs. "'Good morning, friends!' he shouted. The aldermen shook their gold-headed canes at him, and the people danced around the tree in rage. Then they began to climb, but they soon found that it was to be impossible. As fast as they touched a hand or foot to the tree, back it flew with a jerky... The tree started listening to the jerky boys and would <laughs> jump back and dance around, making it really hard to climb. As fast as they touched a hand or foot to the tree, back it flew with a jerk, exactly as if the tree pushed it. They tried a ladder, but the ladder fell back the moment it touched the tree and lay sprawling upon the ground. Finally, they brought axes and thought they could chop down the tree, costumer and all. But the wood resisted the axes as if it were iron and only dented them, <laughs> receiving no impression itself. Good God! Meanwhile, the costumer sat up in the tree, eating cherries and throwing the stones down. Finally, he stood up on a stout branch and, looking down, addressed the people. "'It's of no use you trying to accomplish anything in this way,' said he." "'You'd better parlay. "'I'm willing to come to terms with you "'and make everything right on two conditions.' "'The people grew quiet then, "'and the mayor stepped forward as a spokesman. 
Name your two conditions, said he rather tensely. You own tacitly that you are the cause of all this trouble. Well, said the costumer, reaching out for a handful of cherries, this Christmas masquerade of yours was a beautiful idea, but you wouldn't do it every year, and your successors might not do it at all. I want those poor children to have a Christmas every year. My first condition is that every poor child in the city hang its stocking for gifts in the city hall on every Christmas Eve, and it gets filled too. I want the resolution filed and put away in the city archives. Oh, we agree to the first condition, cried the people with one voice, without waiting for the mayor and aldermen. <laughs> The second condition, said the costumer, is that this good young cherry man here has the mayor's daughter, Violetta, for his wife. <laughs> well, damn. All right. Uh, he has been kind to me, letting me live in his cherry tree. This is so kooky. Oh no, she's losing it. I don't know if we're going to make it to the end of the story. <laughs> so wacky. I haven't even, I've only had his coffee today. Oh my God, I'm glad I didn't read this after a couple glasses of wine. <laughs> Good God. <sighs> he has been kind to me, letting me live in his cherry tree and eat his cherries, and I want to. <laughs> There's so many like sexual references in Waving their gold-headed canes, fid fiddling their fiddles, um, Eat eating my, my cherries. <laughs> Eat my cherries. <laughs> Eat his cherries, and I want to reward. <laughs> She's losing it. She's losing it. It's over. Oh, God, we're not going to make it. <laughs> we consent, cried all the people. But the mayor, though he was so generous, was a proud man. I will not consent to the second condition, he cried angrily. Very well, replied the costumer, picking some more cherries. Then your youngest daughter tends geese the rest of her life. That's all. <laughs> The mayor was in great distress, but the thought of his youngest daughter being a goose girl all her life was too much for him. It's like a goose girl's an actor. <laughs> oh, no you... daughter of mine's going to be a goose, goose girl. girl. Goose girl. Uh, he gave in at last. Now go home and take the costumes off your children, said the costumer, and leave me in peace to eat cherries. <laughs> you can't keep eating that guy's cherries. You just got you him just engaged. You just got him betrothed. I mean... <laughs> Violetta's going to eat his cherries now. <laughs> cherry pie. <laughs> She's my cherry pie. <laughs> then the people hastened back to the city and found to their great delight that the costumes would come off now I'm going to say those things were probably disgusting 
They've not been washed in like months. Washed nothing. They haven't been off. <laughs> well, in like, months. like, yeah. The pins stayed out, and the buttons stayed unbuttoned, and the strings stayed untied. The children were dressed in their own proper clothes and were their own proper selves once more. The shepherdesses and the chimney sweeps came home and were washed and dressed in silks and velvets and went to embroidering and playing lawn tennis. (laughs) And the princesses and the fairies put on their own suitable dresses and went about their useful employments. Fuck. They went back to their child Child labor. labor. So, you know. A happy ending for everyone. Yeah. There was great rejoicing in every home. Violetta thought she had never been so happy now that her own dear little sister was no longer a goose girl, but her own dainty little lady self. The resolution to provide every poor child in the city with a stocking full of gifts on Christmas was solemnly filled and deposited in the city archives and was never broken. Violetta was married to the cherry man, and all the children came to the wedding and strewed flowers in her path till her feet were quite hidden in them. The costumer had mysteriously disappeared from the cherry tree the night before, but he left at the foot some beautiful wedding presents for the bride, a silver service with a pattern of cherries engraved on it, and a set of china with cherries on it, hand-painted, and a white satin robe embroidered with cherries down the front. That is the end of that story. <laughs> Where'd the cherries come from? And what happened to the wise woman with all her cats? <laughs> this guy seemed unreasonably obsessed with cherries. Yeah, why did he like cherries? Like, it, they did, I don't think cherries were mentioned earlier in the story. <laughs> like, I feel like that would have been a detail, like... The cute, like, the little old, like, man in, like, the red suit and the buckles who was constantly munching cherries. <laughs> Although, I guess his his suit matched oh, the red. color of the cherries. Cherry red. So, we can play that game. I am curious what happened to the old woman and her cats. Um, I bet she's like, they never fucked with her again. <laughs> nope. She's like, I can't hear you bitches anyway. And now she's got a swarm of cats to do her bidding. Protecting her house. First of all, when I grow up, I want to be that lady. You you want to be deaf, but able to multiply your cats exponentially? Absolutely. I mean, I could do without the deaf thing, but if I could like multiply cats to get people to fuck off, that'd be great. Yeah. Can you imagine five linas just appearing? How about 125? 125 linas in this apartment right now. If I was just like, it's about that's 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 uh, over half a ton of cat. That's a lot of cat. <laughs> and Lina has some sass. She'd be spitting and meowing too. <laughs> yep. Wow, that was a ride. That was a fun one. That was fun. I uh, I laughed super hard during that many times. Frequently. Like, my belly actually is sore from laughing. Uh, was that recommended so by someone? That story was not recommended by anyone. However, 
um, Mary Eleanor Wilkins Freeman's Luella Miller was recommended by a couple of people from our uh, our friendly recommendation group, Thinking Horror, on Facebook. Once again, a, a shout out to our Facebook friends who have been killing it, yes. who recommended this author and another story by her that we will probably read at some point. Yeah, I just, uh, she was fun. Um, so I said this in the middle, but then went on to later cut it out in editing because it was a random tangent in the middle that we didn't need. Um, this story seems to be the basis for an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, a Halloween episode where all of the kids dress up for Halloween and they're forced to turn into whatever they dressed up as. And I wonder if that was an intentional story grab, if uh, if Mr. Joss Whedon um, is, is a fan of the story. Mrs. Wilkins Freeman. So... Joss Whedon, if you're listening, and we know you are, then one, we love you, and two, could you let us know? Because Ken got very excited about the second page of the story and was like, oh, "I think, just pause, Heather. I I think this might be the impetus for uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode." I'm like, "Ooh, we'll talk about that after." And there it is. So yes, if if you know the answer and you're a Buffy fan or a Joss Whedon fan or you are Joss Whedon or know him, let us know. Uh, anyway, hey, if you enjoyed that or thought it was weird or just generally worth um, really anything, please share it with someone, you know. Uh, yeah. Also, just- please like and subscribe and download and listen to our other episodes. That would be super cool. You. This is episode 25. Yeah, it sounds about right. It is. Yeah, that's crazy. So, yeah, we have 25 episodes and uh we love doing this. So, yeah, if you love us and we've been starting to get people reaching out that like we have no connection with um, who really are enjoying themselves. So if you're one of those people or you're one of the people that even knows us, um, yeah, share us with your friends. Um, we're kooky. We're weird. <laughs> and yeah. we all need some distraction in the world right now. So also, if you're the kind of person who like if you work a job right now where you have to leave the house. Um, I, I recommend two ways of using this podcast. One is go ahead and listen to us on your commute. It's, um, I think more entertaining than talk radio, but I might be a little, uh, biased on that assessment. But the other thing you can do is just, especially now that we have closing in on 30 hours worth of material, just go ahead and turn us on when you leave the house and leave us playing for your pets so that they have company. Oh. We would love to keep your your little kitty or puppy or, or parakeet or gerbil monkey. or whatever you have company while you're at work. I love that I went to piglet and monkey. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I really should live on a like jungle farm. <laughs> Let's be real. Hey, thanks for listening. Thank you. Uh, really, um, from the bottom of my bottom, thank you. We love you. <laughs> This has been Campfire so are Classics. Are you farting for our listeners? <laughs> oh, no. You interrupted the outro tag. Sure did. This has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. One cat times five is 25 cats. No, that's not how math works. <laughs> <laughs>